right, good morning. How are we? Everybody good? Just six or seven of you are all right. Are you still upset because you've been praying for the rain and it rained? Awesome. Well, hey guys, it's great to be with you this morning. I love hearing you sing and I love getting to be a part of the, especially sitting down here on the front row. I'm telling you, those of you who are scared to sit on the front row, the Holy Spirit does something different down here. And I'm telling you, you're missing out on it. It's awesome. I love every bit of it. Well, hey, um, you may have picked up one of these uh, as you walked in. You're, maybe you were given one of these a couple of weeks ago. These are, this is a great resource. I'd encourage you to be tracking along with us throughout the week as we are journeying together um, in this all-in initiative, which is a great, great, great thing. And so I hope that you've got one of these. If you, if you do, go ahead and turn with me to page 25. That's where we're going to be this morning. You may want to jot down some notes. Maybe God does something while I'm up here speaking. I'm always reminded of the fact that, you know, I may be up here speaking, um, but it's God who, who does something in you. And it I never ceases to amaze me. Somebody walks up to me and they're like, Logan, when you said this, and I'm like, I don't think I ever said that. And it's like, maybe that was just the spirit working in you and teaching you something through this broken vessel that I am. And so I'm thankful to get to be a part of it. But anyway, so we're going to continue our series all in. Um, last, well, two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that there is a difference between liking an idea about something Right? Like we can like an idea, we can be on board with something, we can be excited about something and yet um, not be surrendered to it. Right? And there's a difference. There's a difference between liking something and being surrendered to it to the degree that we are willing to maybe even sacrifice in order to, to gain that thing that we like, that idea that we like. When it comes to the next two years, we can't not, we can't just be, oh man, this is great. I can't wait. This is going to be so fun and not be willing to sacrifice for it and surrender for it, right? Um, and then last week we talked about this kind of idea of trust, right? And I, I did this crazy illustration that, um, you know, is probably broke all of our rules, which by the way, Mike, sorry for that. Um, but, but this idea of putting ourselves in a place where we have to trust the Lord, right? Where, you know, it takes trust to walk up here and to, to do something that this crazy guy is asking me to do. It takes trust to do that. It takes trust to get on top of a chair. It takes trust to put a blindfold on. And it takes trust to lean to the back of that chair, not knowing if anybody's behind me and leaning back, right? It takes trust for all of those things, but at the same time, God, I believe, is calling us to put ourselves in a position where we have to trust him. Because if, we, if he doesn't show up, then we'll fall on our face. And so my encouragement to you, my encouragement to me over the last several months has been, Lord, help me to trust you enough to be willing to sacrifice what you're calling me to sacrifice, knowing that you're going to replenish that which you call me to give to you. What, I, what you call me to offer, you're going to provide for. And so my encouragement is that for you. Now that brings us to this morning, which is the fun topic of generosity. Isn't that exciting? Haven't you been looking forward to this all week? Everybody loves to talk about money, right? Everybody loves to talk about these things. And so we're going to talk about it. Hey, and here's my phrase for everything. It's not weird unless you make it weird, right? It's not awkward unless you make it awkward. So let's make it awkward so it doesn't have to be awkward, okay? So we're going to talk about our money. We're going to talk about all those things. But what I was thinking about this morning, and I've, you've heard me say this before, but as I was singing, 
And as I was thinking about what I was about to say up here, the, this thought just came to me, Lord, if I give you my heart, if I give you my heart, and I mean, I give you all of my heart, not just a piece of it, just, Lord, if I give you all of my heart, you're going to take care of my resources because my resources are going to follow my heart, right? I preached that sermon several months ago, and I just want you to just encourage you on that, that at the end of the day, your money is going to go where your heart is. And so wherever your heart is, there your money will be also. Jesus says that himself, right? And so when we consider these things, where's your heart? Where's your heart this morning? Is it with him or is it with other things? Because the beautiful thing about the text that we're going to cover today is that Paul is going to give us a big, beautiful vision for generosity. And, and I've ran across this text before, but I've never slowly read this text or at least you know, maybe I have, and I, I don't know, maybe I was asleep that morning, but this, this week it just landed on me different. And so I'm, I'm excited to get to share it with you because again, Paul gives us a vision for generosity, specifically for a church that I've really never seen before. And so if you would go ahead and open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to cover verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15 this morning. We're going to read all of it together because I want you to see that I'm not making this up, right? This is, this is God's word. It's really good. That's why I've got to read it. I'm like, it, you know, if, if we stopped at the end of me reading this, it'd probably be enough. So we'll listen to this and then you can, you can bear with me for a few more minutes afterwards. Okay, beginning in verse 1. This is Paul writing. He says, I want you to know, brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and even beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Notice the act of grace. That's generosity. That's what he's talking about here. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Right? So there's something's changed. There started, they desired it. All of a sudden now they're not doing it. Maybe they're doing it out of reluctance. Verse 12, for if the readiness is there, it is not acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. All right. 
You ever run across those passages where you just want to highlight every sentence? That was this passage for me. As I was reading through this, I thought, oh man, that's a nugget. Oh man, that's good. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that. Oh my gosh. And then I realized, oh, this is the whole passage. So we're just going to cover verse by verse, okay? So that's where we're headed. Now, when I was a kid, I don't know about you, but there was this question that was asked of me in kindergarten. That question was, what do you want to be when you grow up? You remember that question? We have a series of these kind of questions as you get older in life. And that question for me was quite easy. Everybody else was going around the room. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a police officer. I want to be a football player. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a teacher. Everybody had all these ideas of what, are they, what they wanted to be when they grew up. For me, I just simply wanted to be my dad. I'd heard the hero, the legends, all the things that made up this superhero in my home, and I wanted to be just like him. Some might say that I had um, an an achiever heart as a child, and well, some things never change. Um, You know, I have a high, uh, you know, uh, ambitions and, and different things. Well, part of that is because I've always wanted to be like my dad, who, again, is like a superhero in my home. I've always wanted to achieve to be like him. Well, in this particular text, Paul is inviting us to, to achieve to be like the church in Macedonia. He's giving us a model, something for us to admire, but not just to admire, but to become. It's pretty great. It's this beautiful picture of what a generous church looks like. Now, for us to know where we want to go, we have to be honest about where we are, right? So if I give you a vision of where we're headed, I've got to talk about the reality because we'll never get where we're going if we don't know where we start, okay? So Paul's calling on us, I believe from this text, is that we would be a generous church, okay? Now, the reality is, is that we are not a generous church, okay? Hear me very clearly. We're not a generous church. We are a church that has generous people in it. Okay, there's a difference. There's a big difference between being a church with generous people and then being altogether a generous church. There's a huge difference. See, I want you to think about all of the amazing things that we are able to do right now with generous people. Man, we are able to clothe, the, clothe folks who have no clothes, to provide shelter for those who don't have shelter, to provide food, to share the gospel from our neighborhood to the ends of the earth, to have missionaries all around the world. I mean, I could go on and on about all the things that we are able to do with a people in a generous church, or a generous people in a church. But I want you to think about this. How might that improve? How might that, how might that be different if we were a generous church where 100% of us were pitching in. Think about that. I want you to think about the kingdom impact, the amount of people that we could care for, the lives that could be transformed. If all of us in this room said, you know what, enough is enough. Man, I want to be a part of what God is doing in this community to the ends of the earth. And I'm going to choose to invest my life and my resources in the kingdom rather than in the things of the world that Jesus says that moth and rust will destroy, whereas over here in the kingdom will will reap you an eternal impact that, that the world can't take from you. 
And so this is the invitation that Paul is giving to us this morning is to not be a church with generous people, but to become a generous church. And in verses one through five, he gives us a model for that. Like how great, how nice of Paul, right? To give us a picture, a model for what he's calling us to do. In this text, Paul gives us a picture of the Macedonian church, which by the way is a region of the Roman Empire. These are the churches of of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. So if you want to know who Paul's talking about, he's giving us a picture of those churches, okay? And here's what he says. He says, I want you to know. He says, hey, here's a model. Here's something to aspire to. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God among the churches of Macedonia. And then he tells us what he wants us to know. He says, for in severe, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. To the degree that Paul says this, for they gave according to their means, I can testify to that, but then they gave beyond their means, Paul says. And hear this, of their own accord. So nobody had to ask them for it. They were readily bringing it to the, to the apostles. He says that they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints in this, not as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Wow. I mean, what a picture of generosity. Nobody came to have to knock on their door like, hey, listen, you know, we've got some needs. We've got some things happening. We really need your help. Nobody ever had to do that in these churches. But rather the people gave themselves to the Lord and because they gave their heart to the Lord, They were generous in return. See, our generosity is a response in worship to the Lord, right? That's what worship is. Worship is simply the heart's response to what the Lord has done in and through you. Generosity is also the heart's response to what God has done in and through you, right? So we can measure our worship, so to speak, by what we're willing to return back to the Lord, The more generous I am, the more I can trace that back to the generosity that has been given to me in the Lord. That's what Paul's saying here, right? It's a beautiful picture of this. And here's what's kind of interesting. I found this to be really insightful is that Paul says that these churches were struggling financially. So it's not like they were just busting at the seams and the stock market is killing it. And man, I've just got money everywhere, right? It's not, that's not the case here. Paul says that they are struggling financially. Something has happened in their midst and it's causing a lot of problems. And yet, instead of hoarding what they have, they were freely giving it over to the church. It's an offering a response of worship for what the Lord had done in their life. Their joy gave way to overwhelming generosity. In the very next chapter, verse nine, Paul's gonna say that each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. These churches are a picture of cheerful giving. While they were struggling financially, their joy overflowed into overwhelming generosity. In fact, so much so that Paul would even say that they not only gave based on what they could afford to give, which is giving according to their means, but they gave over and above that which they felt like they could afford. By the way, this is kind of the nature of sacrifice, right? Sacrifice. You know, giving is never easy. It's never easy, right? But it's easier 
to give out of the overflow of what I have, right? It's easy to give knowing what I can afford to give. It's supernatural to give over and above what I think I can afford to give. You tracking with me? Right, there's something supernatural has to happen, come into my heart, into my life for me to go, oh man, Lord, how in the world am I gonna do this? But I'm gonna trust you with my resources. I'm gonna trust you with my finances so much so that I'm gonna give over and beyond what I think I can give because I'm gonna trust you on the back end that when I lean over to this ledge and I fall back, you're gonna have my back. Well, you're gonna catch me when I fall. That's the kind of response that Paul is saying that these folks had, that they didn't give just according to what they could afford to give. They gave over and above it and the Lord blessed it and they were begging, begging to do so. Why were they doing that? Because of the favor of the Lord. They were begging, not simply just to give to give. They were begging because they wanted something more from God. They wanted the favor and the blessing of the Lord. Now understand, this is not a prosperity gospel kind of thing that if I give to you, Lord, then you're gonna give me a Lamborghini or a private plane or good health or any of those things. But it is to say that, Lord, when I give to you and I literally, I give you my heart and I give you my offering, God does something in your midst. He does something in your heart. And what I think happens is that all of a sudden, God does this working in your heart to the degree that your hands become so tight onto him and your fingers start loosening their grip on the things of the world. And what the Macedonian churches knew is that that was a greater blessing than any car that you could drive or the size house that you live in or your health or anything else. That to live in the favor of the Lord provided greater peace than anything that the world could offer you. And so I'm gonna invest in that favor and that blessing rather than in the favor and the blessing of this world, by the way, which is a false sense of security anyway. So again, that's what Paul is inviting us into is to experience the beauty and the security of investing our lives and our resources into the Lord and what he is doing. Now, this shows you the nature of, your, of their giving. Paul writes, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Notice the priority here. Notice what we've been studying for the last several weeks. What is our priority? That's not rhetorical. What is our priority? God's our priority, absolutely. You know, it's funny because I never read this text before we started that. But this week, I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, that's why you laid that on my heart, right? So that we could get here and, and, and see the demonstration of generosity. The demonstration of generosity is that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then, and only then to one another. God was their priority because when God is our priority, he takes care of all everything else. He takes care of our resources. He takes care of our generosity. He takes care of everything else. When I give my heart to the Lord and he is the priority of my heart, my resources will certainly follow my heart. I promise you they will. When your heart has been given over to the Lord, I'm telling you, your resources are soon following it. Because when my heart is responding to worship in the Lord and what he has done for me, there's no other option but for me to go, Lord, all that I have, all that I am is yours, including what I have in my bank account. 
It's amazing what God does in and through our heart's response to him. When we truly give ourselves over to God, he begins to get to work in our heart and slowly and surely our hands become tightly gripped on him and less and less tightly gripped on the world. I want you to hear that. I'm emphasizing that for a reason because I want you to have, I want us to be a church where our hands are so like white knuckled around the Lord and really loose knuckled around the things that we have. That kind of that white knuckled, like, I'm going to hold on to you, Lord, because you're the priority of my life. And then everything else, slowly and surely, as God works in my heart, I can become open-handed with all that I have, all that I am. But we have to give to the Lord first. The Macedonian churches were filled with joy, and the overflow of their joy led them to being overwhelmingly generous. What a model to aspire to. Now here in verses six and seven is the invitation for you and me. Okay, so here's the invitation. In verse six, Paul says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, see to it that you excel in this act of grace also. Listen, when the Corinthian church was planted, God was doing great things among them. I mean, if you just track through the book of Acts and you dove down deep into what happened when the Corinthian church was planted, there's great things. God was doing great things in and around Corinth. Pretty awesome. But somewhere along the way, their generosity gave way to habit. Their generosity gave way to a dull heart. So they started getting busy for the Lord, right? They started doing things for the Lord, started studying, started doing all these really good things. But what Paul is observing is that somehow they kind of took a right when they should have taken a left. And so Paul's invitation for them is to excel not only in knowledge and service, but to also excel in generosity. Now here's what's cool. This hits every one of us. So whether you are the most generous person in the room or you're the least generous person in the room, This is an encouragement to all of us because Paul is telling each and every one of us to excel in generosity. Think about that. So every one of us this morning has a story to tell when we live here this morning is that God's calling on my life according to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is that I would excel, I would grow in my generosity, which means I'm gonna excel in my trust of the Lord. We're to excel. So for you who, man, maybe you can give a ton of money. God's calling, hey, well, well, well how can you grow in that generosity? For you who maybe you've, you've never given before. Hey, this is a great opportunity for you to take a step. You know, you got to start somewhere, right? So start somewhere, right? You can't eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? So you got to start somewhere. And so that's the beauty of this all in initiative. It's a way to get us on the pathway to becoming a generous church, not just to be a church of generous people, but to be a generous church. That's the beauty of all of this, right? And remember, our goal is not numbers. It's a percentage. Josh said that this morning. Why is it a percentage? Because it's more important that we are all in together than it is for a percentage of us to be all in. I'm playing the long game, right? My interest isn't just to build a church, My interest isn't just to fund the next two years of ministry. 
My interest is to fund the next 30 years of ministry, the next 170 years of ministry. And for us to do that requires that we are all, all in, right? That's what we're playing the long game here. We want to be not just a church with generous people, but a generous church because it's gonna take a generous church to fund all that God is gonna continue to do over the next 170 years that God gives us on this earth. You know, who knows how much longer we have, but man, I'm, my prayer is, is that when we, we, we take on hell with a water pistol, you know, like I want us fighting. I want us to be on the edge of what God's calling us to do. And we can't do that if only 30% of us are all in. But if 100% of us are all in, what do you think about that? If 100% of this group of people said, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be about this, enough is enough, I'm gonna put my foot down, we're gonna get after it. Man, you think about what in the world we could do. Think about the lives that we could touch from here all the way to the ends of the earth because of the generosity of people in First Baptist Belton. That's the difference between a church with generous people and a generous church. Maybe you write that down. We will not be a church of generous people. We will be a generous church. And then ask yourself, now what is my role in that? What's my role to play in that? How can I grow in my generosity? How can I follow what Paul is teaching us from the church of Macedonia? How can I do what, what they're doing where I'm challenging myself to say, Lord, I, I wanna trust you more. I wanna go deeper more with you. Because remember, it's not the result that they're fired up about. They're fired up about the favor of the Lord, not about what their money provides. Which by the way, just so we're clear, there's a difference between an offering and a donation. An offering is an act of worship. A donation is an act of, I'm not gonna say that. Do you see the self-control? I want y'all to know, I'm growing too. I'm growing too. But listen, when, when I'm giving an offering, it's literally me responding back to the Lord and saying, Lord, here's, here's all that I have. You do with what you see fit with these resources because I am worshiping you. A donation over here, on the other hand, is me saying, hey, Lord, I'm gonna give back to you, but I dictate what you do with it. Here's what it does. It puts me in the driver's seat of my resources. Is that really an offering? Think about that. Is that really an offering? It's not. An offering says, Lord, here I am. Here's all that I have. And I'm gonna trust you with what you do with it. And the people who are stewards of it, you'll deal with them. A donation over here is to say, hey, Lord, thank you so much for what you've done for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write this check to bless you. I'm gonna write this check to take care of some things, but I'm gonna dictate where that goes. Who is God in that equation? What the Lord is asking of us, a generous church, is not concerned so much as to where it goes. They're concerned about who they're worshiping in response. That's the beauty of an offering to say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Here I am, Lord. Here's my resources. I'm giving them to you. And I'm trusting that you are going to take these resources and you're going to change lives with them. 
That's what we're doing. That's what we're trusting. Now, here's the why. If you're a pragmatic type in the room, I got your why. You ready? In verses eight through 15, he gives us the reasons why. There's three reasons why we need to be a generous church rather than a church with generous people. Number one, I want you to see this. Number one, a generous church is a legitimate church. That's what Paul says. A generous church is a legitimate church. Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of, the, of others that your love is also genuine, right? Paul is saying to be a, we, we're not gonna be a generous church for the sake of generosity. He's saying that we are generous because when we are, we prove that what we say with our lips is true of our hearts. That's what Paul's saying. Like the saying goes, it's putting our money where our mouth is. I would add another layer of that. It's putting our money where our heart is. That's what what Paul's saying here. He says that they gave themselves to the Lord, then to us. They gave themselves in love to the Lord and their love for the Lord led them to love people. Now, Paul is saying here is that there is no better way for us to love the Lord and to demonstrate the genuineness of that love than to be a people who are generous with all that God has given us. By the way, every good gift comes from the Lord. So every good gift that you have is a gift from the Lord. That's why we talk about offering. It's giving back that which you have been given, right? That's what Paul's saying here. Genuine love cannot be commanded or forced. It must be of our own will, right? So that's why he's saying, hey, listen, I'm not commanding you to do these things. I'm inviting you to do them. Right, maybe you have either read the story or maybe you've seen the movie Beauty and the Beast. Right? Belle cannot love the beast until she is given the freedom to choose whether or not she wants to love him or not. In the same way, right? when we consider the way that we give, God wants you to make a conscious choice in your heart. He's giving you the freedom to choose to say, am I going to be generous to you, Lord, or am I not? It's a conscious choice because he wants to prove your love genuine to him, right? Number two, a generous church knows who they're following. A generous church knows who they are following. There's no greater demonstration of generosity than of Jesus himself. Paul writes in verse nine, he says, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. If you wanna know why we are to be generous, why we ought to be a generous church, it's because we belong to Jesus. And he was so generous to us that he left his place in eternity. Jesus left his comfortable place in eternity, sitting at the right hand of the Father to come down to this earth, to subject himself to the brokenness, to the sin and the filth of the world that you and I feel even today, subjected himself to that, went to a Roman cross, died the death that you deserved, was buried, was raised to life so that you and I, if we put our faith and trust in him, we could walk out of an empty grave with him. He was so generous that he gave his life for you. How then can we not give him all that we have and all that we are in return? I don't know how you answer that question other than to be a generous person. 
I, I don't know how you answer that question without saying, Lord, all that I have and all that I am are yours. What we can't say is all that I am and all that I have are yours on my terms. What we can't say is all that I have and all that I am are yours except for these things over here. I'm sure glad that God didn't go, man, you know, (laughs) well, I mean, I kind of love them. I guess I'll send you, well, I don't know. I don't know. They're not very lovely. Romans 5 tells me that at my worst, Christ died for me. It wasn't at my best. It wasn't when I had it all together. It was at my absolute worst. When I was an enemy, Ephesians 2 tells me. When I was a stranger and alien, he came to me and he rescued me. How can I not be generous in return? Of Of none of my own doing, God entered into my life when I was seven years old, grabbed a hold of my heart and said, son, you are mine. You are mine in whom I'm well pleased. And then at the age of 21, I realized, oh my gosh. Started realizing what that meant. That I no longer stand in the righteousness of my own rags and my own filth and my own desire to, you know, be successful and my ambitious heart. Like none of that even mattered. Because God delighted me in me apart from anything that I could offer. Any way I could present myself, anything that I could wear, he delights in me apart from how much money I have or don't have. He delights in me in in spite of how big my house is or how small it is or how successful my kids are going to be. He delights in me apart from me, even my best works. How then can I not go, Lord, here's what I have. Take it and use it for your kingdom. Number three, a generous church is all in. A generous church is all in. Paul writes, he says, for the readiness is there. It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing to left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul uses the word fairness here two times. Twice, Paul uses the word fairness. And when I think of fairness, I think about justice. Maybe you think of that as well. You want justice. If it's not fair, then I want justice. I think of sharing the load. You know, maybe, maybe you're like me, you've, you've driven down an interstate and thought, man, why in the world are two people over there working and six people are telling them how to do it? You ever wondered that? You ever thought about that? Maybe you've been in a school project where you've got to sign this group of people and, you know, you've got to do the project and your grade counts on it. And so you've got the, you know, the perfectionist in the group who can't let everybody else fail. So they end up doing the whole project and you just get a free ride. You remember those days? Maybe you were that person. Maybe you were the free rider. I don't know. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. It's not, it's fun. And, and maybe you thought, golly, Lord, this isn't fair. It's not fair that I have to do all the work while these folks get a free ride. It's not fair. I want justice. See, what Paul is noticing about the Corinthian church is that there's a group of people who are carrying the load. And you know what Paul says? It ain't fair. 
It's not fair that these folks are carrying the load and these folks over here are just on a free ride. Paul says that it's 100% participation. That's why we all can grow. That's why we can all excel in this act of grace. By the way, it's an act of grace. That's what Paul's saying here, right? And the reality is this morning is that we're in the same boat, right? We got two people and six people watching and complaining about what the two people are doing. And yet Paul's invitation for us is to say, hey, no, that's not what the church is about. That's not what we are about as the people of God. We shouldn't be a church filled with generous people. We should be a generous church, right? And so don't let these words be something where you walk out of here this morning and you feel condemned and you feel judged and you feel all that kind of stuff. Listen, that's not what Paul's saying here. That's why Paul says that I didn't command you to do it, right? He's inviting you to be a part of this, right? That it ought to be a love response of our heart back to the Lord. That's, that's our giving, right? It's not about, well, Paul just wants in your pocket. It's not that he just wants in your wallet or in your purse. He wants your heart because he knows that that's what God wants. God wants your heart, right? And when you give your heart, here's what happens. We are overflowing with generosity. That's the beautiful picture of the church in Macedonia. It's not that Paul's saying, hey, what is, what's wrong with y'all? Right? We got churches over here who can't survive because you guys can't figure it out. No, Paul is inviting us all into becoming a generous church where we put the Lord as our top priority. And then from that, we become a generous people who bless others. Now, here's the deal. Again, I want to just make this very clear. Right, there's a challenge for all of us this morning. The challenge is that we need to grow in generosity. That's the overarching challenge, right? All in is a great way to do that. But we've got, as a church, we've got to grow in generosity. If we want to survive in the next 170 years, we've got to be a generous church. That's true, right? There, there's no other option. We have to become a generous church. If we want to continue to do ministry and be the great church that God has allowed us to be for the last 170 years, we want to continue that on in the future, we're going to have to be a generous church. And for us to be a generous church means that you have to be a generous person, which means you have to fall in love with the Lord. So no more playing games. We We don't need to be a church that's playing games. We don't need to be a church who's just nominal about our Christian faith. We need to be a church who is serious about the things of God, who are willing to craft out the time in our day to make God the priority so that he can work on our heart and we can give our heart to him and that he can work in our heart to the degree that we become the picture of a generous church. How cool would it be for the people who are sitting in this room 170 years from now? They're sitting in a room in a gathering just like this going, man, what a picture to aspire to. Those people, those First Baptist Belton folks, man, you know, when all the statistics said that only 30% give in churches, they were not a statistic. They were fired up about the Lord. They were 
serious about pushing back the darkness. They were serious about giving of their resources for the sake of the kingdom. What a picture of generosity they were. Man, how can we carry on that same legacy? How cool would that be? That they're looking back at us in our moment, which by the way, this is our moment. This is not anybody else's moment. This is our moment. It's our moment to stand in the gap, to say, we're gonna do it and we're gonna come together and we're gonna be all in with one another. We're gonna get fired up. This is our moment. It's nobody else's moment. It's our moment. And for them in their moment to look back on us and go, man, because they stood in their moment, we're gonna stand in ours. And who knows what the world's gonna look like then. So let's give them a challenge. Let's give them a picture like my dad gave me as a kindergarten boy. He gave me a picture. He gave me a challenge to be like him. Let's be that kind of church years from now that they look back and go, man, I just wanna be just like them. I wanna be like that group of people. How awesome would that be? It'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Well, let's get there. Let's go to the Lord and let's ask him to do it in and through us this morning. Father, we come to you. (laughs) Or we come to you knowing that you're the owner of all things. And Lord, when we talk about money, sure, it can be awkward. Sure, it can be those different things. But Lord, it's only awkward if we make it awkward. And it's not awkward with you because every good gift comes from the Father of lights. Father, that's you. Everything that we have, everything that we own is not ours, it's yours. We are mere stewards of what you have given to us. And so Lord, help us to in turn, give it back to you and entrust you with it. God, I do. I want to not just be a church of generous people. I want us to be a generous church that the enemy is terrified of. Because a generous church tells me that we are a church who has given our hearts to the Lord. And Satan can't handle that. The enemy can't handle that. So Lord, I pray that you would bind him. I pray that you would frustrate any plans that he has and that your plan would prevail for First Baptist Belden. God, I pray that you would remove any of the thoughts in our hearts and our minds to say, oh no, how are we gonna do this? God, I pray that you would remove those thoughts with deep-seated peace and trust. Trust that as we step out on that ledge, God, we can lean back and we know that you're gonna catch us when we fall. God, help us to lean back into that ledge and go, Lord, what, what is it that you would have for me to give, Lord, and then let's give that. Let's be about that. Now, there's so many people in this room that so many people carry weight and baggage around this concept. Maybe they've been hurt. Um, Maybe a church has done this poorly. Maybe they've read articles of churches who have butchered your resources, Lord. We ask your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness in areas where I have failed to be a good steward in my own resources. 
God, and I pray that you would help us, you would protect us, you would guard us, you would guide us, the Lord, that we would stand, Father, in that office and we would, we would be good stewards of everything that you have given to us. I pray that you would heal the wounds that we have around this topic. And that we would recognize, Lord, that it's not about the money. It's not about building building. It's not about anything other than giving our hearts to you and trusting you to reach and to touch lives for Jesus. So that other people can be in your kingdom just like we are in your kingdom. That other people can come to know you just like we've come to know you and experience life everlasting. Oh, that's why we're here today. Father, we love you. We trust you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.